Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today is part two of the Q&A session from our virtual spring rendezvous. If you listened to part one last week, you know that we are presenting the audio from the finale of the Spring Rendezvous. It's basically a panel of Gold Loopers who are fielding questions of all different sorts related to the Great Loop from the attendees. Before we roll that, I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes and Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage all of our listeners and viewers to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. We are going to go ahead and play a commercial from one of our sponsors. When that wraps, the next thing you will hear is the audio of part two of the Q&A from the virtual spring rendezvous. We hope you enjoy it. Schooner Island Marina is the only full-service floating dock marina on the island in Wildwood, New Jersey. Offering ship store, pool, brokerage and new boat sales, gas and diesel, mobile pump out, and a full-service yard for any repair needs. Even better for loopers, you can walk to grocery, convenience stores, shops, and restaurants. Wildwood offers one of the most expansive beaches in South Jersey and the best amusement park rides, all within a 15-minute walk. A short ride up the ICW from Cape May Inlet leads you to our well-protected marina. Visit schoonerislandmarina.com for more info. Uh, next question I'm going to throw out to whoever um, has a, an answer for it. The question from Bill is, how do all of you handle drinking water? Um, they have extra filters on the water. I'm sorry. Do you put extra filters on the water tank or you exclusively drill, drink bottled water? Um, he said that they drink a lot of water and they filter the water as they fill their tank, but they don't really feel comfortable drinking it. So is there a solution to that? So we drink the water on the boat. Um, we When we left the loop, I think I was the only one who would drink from it. Yeah, I wouldn't for a long time. We would buy, but I can't stand all the bottled water waste. And we have four of us on board and I absolutely refuse to contribute to the plastic mess in the ocean. So we would have those two and a half gallon, two and a half gallon ones that would sit on your countertop because at least it's, you know, you refill it less often. But even so, like then that took a big chunk of countertop space up. And we like moved on the boat full time. We we're like, okay, we can't do that anymore. So so we, we have a whole house filter that how filters in all the water on the boat and then a point of use filter uh, um, uh, a, a very fine membrane filter on the galley sink that is filtering all that water along those lines uh, there's two other things that we do and I there are different differing theories on this I'll just give you mine we don't filter water on the way in filtering water on the way in strips chlorine from the water that then sits in your holding tank actually want that water chlorinated until we go to drink it, at which point we do strip out the chlorine. Uh, the other thing is we don't ever hook to dock water. The reason for that is we're drinking the water out of our tanks and I want that water turned over very regularly. Um, so we hold enough water that we fill water most of the time once a week or a little more often and it's hardly a burden. And so we simply use the water in our tanks very regularly to keep it fresh and turned over. Okay, that's great advice. Any other thoughts about drinking yeah, water? Ben, ben and I agree on something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, two things, Ben. 
Number one, do not filter your water going into the boat. Yeah, I've seen the people with the charcoal filters taking the chlorine out going into their tank. And number two, I just want to emphasize, turn over the water in your tank. Use the water in your tank. Fill it from the dock. Don't hook on to dock water. And we drink water out of the tank. I've got a particulate filter off the tank, and that's the only filter we use. And we use the water off the tank. Perfect. Thank you. I'm going to jump in there if that's okay. Yeah, please do, Claudia. Uh, before you put the water in your tank, I would advise taking a sample. I have a small, clear glass. I put the water in it. I look at it. I taste it. We know friends that we saw in Waterford one time, and they were cleaning out their tanks because they got bad water, and they did not test it before putting it in the tanks. Good advice. Thank you. That's something that I had not, didn't, Claudia, didn't think of and didn't know. Go ahead, Robert. Claudia's comment is very good. And Kay and I will, as we travel, we don't take well water onto our boat. And you will find remote marinas, I'll call those marinas with character, possibly, <laughs> who are not on a public water system. Do not take water unless they're on a public water system. Good point, Claudia. Thank you for that. Um, next question. Uh, let's, let's see if Dave and Claudia want to take this one. Are crab pots as big of a deal as what we've read about? Well, I haven't hit one in six years. So I guess I don't think they're that big a deal. But uh, like everything else on the loop, uh, you know, there's risks. And if you're prepared for them and you know that it's there, typically on the ICW, they're out of the channel. Every, but, you know, you can't assume that that they will be out of the channel. So just always be looking if when you're crossing the Gulf, coming back in, you know, you hear people talk, oh gosh, there's so many crab pots. But again, if you time your arrival so that the sunrise, you get there after the sun gets up. If you get there arriving with the sun's coming over the horizon, you can't see because of the glare, you've got a real problem. So yeah, there's lots of crab pots out there, but there's ways to mitigate the risk and not hit one. Yeah, we, we mm -hmm. knock wood, not picked one up in any of our cruising. Uh, we've we've gotten real close a few times. Oh, didn't see that one coming. Um, <laughs> but uh, haven't picked one up. We do not have line cutters. I've never felt the need to have them. Robert and Kay, anything different from you on that? We agree with Ben and Laura totally. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> we, we have not hit a crab pot. We don't have line cutter, cutters. It makes you more diligent as you're navigating. And you, okay. Kay is a real good extra set of eyes looking for crab pots. And that's a really good point. When we are in really thick waters and with them, there's two of us at the bridge watching. Yes. Just a kind of a humorous story on crab pots. We know yeah. somebody that had a crab pot on board and they had put it out at night and catch crabs and eat them. And one night they put their crab pot out on the ICW in Georgia where you had, I think it was around St. Mary's, where you have the you know, really high 10, 12 foot uh, tides. He didn't have enough line out, so it floated the trap off of the ground, then it floated away. But he accused somebody <laughs> of stealing his trap. And so uh, he was all mad that somebody stole his crab pot. And then, so they pulled anchor and they were going down the ICW and about five or six miles down, it was a crab pot right in the middle of the channel. So he was cussing 
somebody for putting a crab pot in the middle of the channel till he got up there and realized it was his. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> Speaking of stories, um, we have a question. Um, please briefly describe a typical route planning session over docktails. Um, I will tell you all uh, a great resource for kind of route planning, you know, like the day, next day's route planning. There was a great article in the April issue of the Great Loop Link newsletter um, where Robert Malkin, who is a member, walked through that. And I think he did it in, in, a, in probably one of the best ways that I've seen of mapping out that process. Um, and he is actually going to be presenting on that topic at our um, Great Loop Cruising, a guide to the looper lifestyle seminar in Charleston, which is coming up in September. So I'll put that out there. Um, but for the panel, can you also um, just describe a typical route planning session? He's asking about over docktails, but a lot of you probably do it when you get back to the boat. So just kind of talk about that a little bit um, when it's a group kind of thing or versus you're planning your own. Anyone so want to take one that? Comment about, about route planning over docktails is I'm a real believer that you have to plan for yourself and you have to, you know, you run your boat, not everybody else running with you. Um, and that cuts both ways. There have been so many times when you hear about, you know, hear doc tales about how, oh, this next stretch is terrible. And, you know, if you pay enough attention, you won't sleep real well the night before. Pretty sure that, you know, tomorrow's going to be the day that you destroy the boat. And, you know, two and a half, three hours into it, you'll kind of, you know, it happened quite a few times. I would look to learn and be like, I'm not getting it because this really isn't so bad. Um, and then, but the other part of it is, you know, it, it's one thing to sort of talk about what you're going to encounter the next day at Backtails um, or, you know, anytime with other loopers. But, you know, uh, the way we planned was really governed by the fact that we were traveling with kids. And so our schedule was maybe not the same as others. We tried to avoid, for the most part, first light departures which meant waking the girls um, and me. Um, I tried to avoid them further because I like to sleep. But um, <laughs> we, you know, we, our, our planning was driven a lot by depth. And if we were in tidal areas where we needed tidal assistance, we probably needed a different amount of tidal assistance than others. So, you know, we, we, we definitely did most of our own route planning. And for us, I would say the times that we did group planning were on the rivers and you had to get organized for the loss because they're not going to just lock one boat through and then I'll lock another boat through. I mean, they will, but you're going to have to wait. And so it made a lot more sense to be in a group. And in that sense, we would, you know, sit on the dock, you know, six o'clock, whatever, and figure out sort of what the plan was, at least for the first couple of locks the next day so that everyone left at the same time. You'd been in touch with the lock master already to know when they wanted you there. So those were the most important times when we needed a group plan. If it was a matter of just, you know, buddy boat traveling in Michigan or something, it was, you know, hey, where do you want to go tomorrow? We're going to go here. And then, you know, fog blows up. Okay, we're going to pull in here. You know, it was, that was simpler and much more of a, we're just going to do what works for that day situation. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anyone else want to share a part of that topic? Yeah, I would yeah. prefer, Kim, to call it daily trip planning. Mm -hmm. And in the morning when you get up is when you pull everything that you've racked into that brain and try to put it together and you need to ensure you have a plan A, B, and C and be, be flexible along the way and don't tie yourself to a commitment. But daily trip planning is where you pull everything together and start looking at 
weather and tides here on the East Coast and how far can I make it today? And am I traveling with other boats and where can I stop this evening? So yeah, it's pulling it all together and trying to gel it into one little package. Mm-hmm. Have a plan B and C. So after I guess six years on the boat, what I've what I've become to do, and we didn't do this initially, but on we typically do not cruise on Sundays. But what I do on Sundays afternoons, I know where we're at if we travel you know 30 to 50 miles every day and you know looking ahead I say well we you know if we're 200 250 miles where we're going then I look at the cruising guides and the things that I have and say okay where do we want to stop over the next week kind of lay out a plan on Monday we'll be here Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday Saturday and then so we, I kind of know where we're going to stop, how far it is between stops, how many locks is it between stops, things like that. So today we're sitting in Clifton, in the Tennessee River. We're going to go to Pebble Isle next. We're going to go to Paris Island State Park, and then we're going to go to Green Turtle Bay. And we want to try to get there next Tuesday, so we're going to take our good sweet time about it and uh, just get up there and allow Memorial. We'll be there for Memorial Day weekend. Once that goes, then we're going to, in earnest, go up the Ohio River. So I do that kind of planning a week in advance. And then what really echo what both of y'all are saying is the night before, I look at the weather for tomorrow before I go to bed. You know, Hey, is it going to be? And then in the morning, it's a game day decision. Do we go or not go? You know, what, has anything changed overnight? And then we decide we're going to go or not. And then the flexibility part. I think we have lost Dave and Claudia. Hopefully they'll be back in a moment. Go ahead, Laura. Um, I mentioned getting a group together for the locks so that you're organized if you're traveling with a group. To that end, whether it's on the rivers or if you're traveling with a group anywhere else on the loop, if a group of you is planning to come into a marina, and I'm not talking a group of 10 boats, but we typically travel with two or three other boats. It was real helpful, we found, for one person to be the point person, and everyone can make their own reservations, but the marinas get overwhelmed with answering the phone. And if one could call and say, we're a 57-foot boat, I also have a 45-foot and a 42-foot coming in. Could you find slips for all of us? It's easier for the marina, we found, to be able to say, yes, we can fit you, and we can put, you know, and then they try to group you together if they can. It was a helpful to be able to say you know one person calling for everybody if they could and then you know everyone else can fill in their own information but at least to find out space wise if there was room yeah that's great advice um let's see i know robert and kay can can probably address this one but uh ben and laura may have something as well question is can you share some experiences in the thousand islands on the u.s side since the border uh, it will likely still be closed um we've got a member who's thinking about visiting that area, even if they can't go into Canada. So Robert and Kay, I know I've seen some of your beautiful pictures from the Thousand Islands. So any any thoughts on, you know, would you go back if knowing you could just do the US side? Yes, we would. Uh, do it, do it, do it. Uh, we crossed over, we did the Erie Canal in Lake Oswego. And the morning we left Oswego, there were four other boats leaving and they headed straight across to the Kingston Picton area, and Kay and I said, no, we're going up to the St. Lawrence. We spent two weeks in Clayton at Alex Bay, loved it. We did uh, commercial boat uh, tours while we were there. We did the 
Wooden Boat Museum in Clayton, New York. We did the Boat Castle up at Alex Bay. Yes, we would go back to the Thousand Islands again, even if we couldn't cross over. Now, as, as for luck for us, uh, right behind the Boat Castle was Gananoque, Canada, and we cleared customs in at Gananoque and right. came back down the Canadian side. But uh, yeah, uh, Clayton and Alex Bay and the, the parts of the St. Lawrence there are spectacular. Robert, okay. We were like agreeing on so much tonight. That was like, <laughs> I told any person that's come through Fort Myers this winter and asked us about that and lamented Canada. We have said, go to the Thousand Islands. It was amazing. And we just did it. We hadn't planned to. We got up there and we're like, oh, maybe we should see that too. Same thing. We stopped in Cape Vincent first. Yeah. And then Clayton was amazing. That museum yeah, is incredible. Museum's incredible. Yep. We yeah. took our boat to Bolt Castle and docked on their docks and toured the castle. And the girls loved it. It was just, a, it was such a neat experience. We mm -hmm. anchored so a couple of, and then I'm we sorry, went. I'm sorry, Laurel. We, we also docked at the Bolt Castle dock, uh, boathouse. That was yep. spectacular. Yes. Yeah. And we so, also clicked into Gananoque, which was a, a total bonus little canadian city too we liked adorable. it a lot yeah it was great yeah so kind of along the same line and and thank you for because because i do hope that a lot of our members that are coming through the oswego canal and ending up in lake ontario will take the time to head out to the thousand islands before heading towards the welland um somewhat on the same lines of you know crossing those borders any advice and this is a little bit wide open um but the question is any advice on going from fort pierce to bimini in the bahamas um, Steins, I know you spent some time in the Bahamas, maybe just, you know, um, I don't know if you have any specific advice about the crossing or if you just want to, you know, talk about the time in the Bahamas. Uh, we crossed, we were a little unusual. We crossed from Fort Lauderdale because we were mm -hmm. there and wanted to spend time there and got, you know, we crossed to West End, uh, instead of to Bimini, um, Doing the crossing that direction, the Gulf Stream period is north, so it wasn't really much longer than you know friends of ours that crossed from Fort Pierce that same day. We had no issues coming into West End, checking in there, and then we spent six weeks in the Abacos. Uh, so we went all the way to one end of the Abacos, looped around, and spent you know another two weeks coming back and restating the same things. Uh, the crossing, I mean, the rule of thumb—it was four years ago now—but the rule of thumb that we were taught then, and I think still holds true, is no winds out of the north. Yep. If the north, if there's a north component at all in the wind, don't go. Uh, just one quick comment. Fort yeah. Pierce to Bimini would be it's a tough north. crossing. Yeah, that's Fort Pierce to West End. That's a bunch is. north to go a bunch south mm -hmm. with a northerly jet, uh, Gulf Stream. So you'd be bucking the Gulf Stream the whole way. If you want to cross to Bimini, do it from Key Largo yep. or Miami, Miami or, you know, yeah. any of those anchorages out off of Miami you can cross to Bimini from there pretty quickly. Okay. Um, we have several questions that are really wide open and can lead to really long answers. And we've only got about 15 minutes left. So I'm going to kind of pick and choose some of them. Um, but uh, can you each share maybe your, your most memorable anchorage on the loop? Probably ours to me was, uh, I see Dave and Claudia coming back in there. Uh, most memorable anchorage was when we turned on to the Ten Tom Waterway off the Tennessee River. We were going to go to Grand Harbor, I guess it was, just off 
but directly across from the marina was this spectacular little anchorage. So we stayed there that evening and we had maybe a two tenths of a mile travel next day to the marina. But, you know, there are so many spectacular anchorages. It's, it's hard to pick a, pick a particular one. Yeah, I know that that's, that is a tough question. Um, if uh, Dave and Claudia, welcome back. Um, if, if you or the Steins, maybe we'll just take one more um, answer to that. Uh, um, you know, kind of the, your most memorable anchorage along the loop. Well, uh, if you take the Tennessee River up to Knoxville, you can take the Little Tennessee River or the Teleco River, go to the end of navigation, and you're at the foot of the Smoky Mountains, and you can just reach out and touch them. So I, we really like that. We anchored, I mentioned when we did the Hudson River at the Statue of Liberty, and, you know, seeing the Lady Liberty, Ellis Island lit up, and the million-dollar view of Manhattan. And in Canada, I'd say it was what he talked about the other day about going into the pool at Bay Finn and hiking mm -hmm. up to Topaz Lake. All three of those are highlights. Okay. Yeah. Ours really quickly were, yeah. many of them were in the North Channel. Bay Finn was amazing. Covered Portage was amazing. The Benjamins were amazing. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to pick among them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, a couple of questions that I think will be a little bit on the quick side um, because they're very specific to certain parts of navigation. Um, have any of you done the lower Mississippi? No. no. Okay. Um, Sylvia, who was asking that question. Sylvia, if you want to send me an email, I do have a few members who have done that that I can put you in touch with. Um, interestingly, the ones that I can think of off the top of my head were all... Um, uh, the, the gentleman from a couple who, after they finished the loop, went back and did the lower Mississippi with friends on sort of a Huck Finn type of trip. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we, we were, hey, Kim, we were going to do it in 2018 and I got a plan, but from Cairo there, Cairo, however you pronounce that, mm -hmm. it's three days to Memphis, three days to the Greenville Yacht Club, and then four days down to uh, New Orleans. I found a place, if you go about 70 miles every day, you can get off the river. So you don't have to anchor in the river. You can find a place off the river and it's about 70 miles every day. And uh, so that's kind of what you're looking at. Okay, thanks for that. Um, next question again, I think this, this is probably a fairly quick one um, for whoever would like to, to grab this one. Uh, Tom would like to know, are there any stops between Delaware City and Cape May? And are they easy in, easy out or otherwise? Go ahead, Dave, you're shaking your head on that one. Yeah, I don't remember the name of it, but we went up to Philadelphia. So when we left Philadelphia, we went past Delaware City and then about two thirds, maybe a half to two thirds way down with uh, and ended up running out of daylight. And so there was a little creek there. Then we went off in it and uh, anchored. There's another one that Foster talks about a lot across from where the C&D Canal comes out, the Salem River. So either the Salem River and about halfway down, maybe three quarters of the way down, there's another. There's a marina on that little creek, and it goes in there and makes a big dog leg. And we anchored right in the dog leg. Okay, um, this is kind of an age-old question: um, towboat U.S. or Cito or both? And they're also asking any good or bad experiences with using tow services. I mean, so. It, since it's individual operators all around, you could have a really bad experience with CETO, but that could be that individual operator. So let, let's stick with, you know, do you have one or the other or both? We chose uh, Towboat US mm -hmm. 
uh, primarily because of all the marinas that give discount and uh, on dockage and fuel with towboat US, which doesn't exist to my knowledge with CETO. Mm-hmm. And towboat US will cover you if you're out of their territory for a commercial tow service on a reimbursement basis. Towboat US. Okay. Steins, how about you? Same thing. I'm, what was that, Dave? We use towboat. Okay. We, US. We've always had towboat. The year we, the, the two times we've done the loop or por- big portions of it, I, we've had both. The It seemed like cheap insurance that if there was a sea uh, tow operator closer, I, you know, it was, it was little enough money that it was worth it to have both. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, Next question, um, again, a pretty specific circumstance, but has anyone ever anchored with a storm coming and had to keep an all-night anchor watch and or reposition? Yes. Go ahead, Ben. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I bet. I'm, I'm sure all three of us have. Um, and uh, the actually, the, the, all, the most anchor watch I can remember having, ever having to stand was in the Bahamas at Great Sail. Uh, and we just had a gale blow through all night. And this is a very active boat on anchor. We don't have much, we don't really have any of it, any keel. So it tends to sail. And we were seeing speeds hung on the road. We were seeing lateral speeds that made me real nervous that we were going to pop the anchor loose. And it was a crowded anchorage. So yeah, I slept at the lower helm seat. Um, I think with the engines running only about half of the night. Um, <laughs> but uh uh, we've and we've we've dropped the hook, you know, racing a storm a few times and um, totally fine. We're still here to tell that. Yep. Yep. Anyone else want to take that one? Well, it's just going to happen sometime. Our event was in Canada, so it's not just the Bahamas. We had a, a tornado come through one afternoon and a stormy night, and you know, we we had to watch. Mm-hmm. And actually, a completely separate question, but someone did ask, has anyone had any issues with tornadoes? And, you know, what do you do when you're on a boat and there's a tornado warning? What we did is we continued to motor. We didn't go to a marina. that We did not go to Anchorage. We continued to motor, and we felt safer motoring uh, back and forth or in a large bay with a severe weather condition than trying to go to anchor or marina. Gotcha. Okay, thank you for that. Um, this next question is, is uh, I'm not sure that we're gonna have a real good answer and we might be able to collect some more information offline, but Ray is asking, um, he's mentioning that Shelly uses a cane on the docks. They're, they're going to bring a folding wheelchair for her for longer walks and it comes in handy. They've used it before for boat shows and things like that. Um, so he's saying other than loaners and rental cars, is there any advice for Shelly and Ray? Harbor host. Harbor hosts. Excellent Harbor point, host. Robert. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, contact your, there, there are in excess of 500 Harbor hosts mm-hmm. around the Great Loop. Uh, that number is up, Kim. Yeah, it, it continues to grow. Those are people who are there specifically to help you with those special situations that you're dealing with. Please call your Harbor host and say, can you give me assistance with this? I I don't know where else to go with that. Mm -hmm. I would also say to make the Marina aware 
we know this from the Wilsons that um, mentioning that, you know, one of your crew is as limited mobility as in a wheelchair, you know, they, if they're looking at their board and they've got the choice between putting you in, you know, the third slip in from the ramp or all the way out a quarter mile walk, it's real important information for them to know that that's going to make a big difference. Great advice. Um, David Merchberger, uh, thank you for this, David. It's a comment, not a question, but um, he mentioned that festival.net, sorry, let me repeat that, festivalnet.com is a good searchable resource for some of those festivals. So festivalnet.com. So thank you for that, David. That's uh, something I was not aware of. Um, let's see, uh, this is for the Stein. Sylvia just is asking, did you do the skinny water in Georgia with your um, five foot draft? I'm just Nope, we went outside. Right outside. Did you? Yeah. Good to know. All right. We, were, we stopped um, in. We, we stopped in Savannah. Yep. And mm -hmm. we stopped. We came in at St. Simons. Mm -hmm. or we went out at St. Simons and went to Savannah. Yep. Um, it was, you know, we went to Cumberland Island, and that was it. And we saw the. It, that's where we went out. We went out to Cumberland Island and ran on the outside on a flat day and oh, came oh, in oh, at St. Simons and then. You know, and back up to Savannah. So no, we didn't go through any any of that that we had to. And we ran outside probably more than most. Um, you know, frequently that is the trade-off on the higher draft boat, larger boat. You know, we we were also pretty comfortable outside, and mm -hmm. we ran certainly we ran all in New Jersey outside. We ran um, any, anything where we felt like we could, and it was going to be easier than. Than running in, we did. Mm -hmm. you're, gotcha. you're missing a you're missing a spectacular part of the trip to Miss Georgia, and you can do it on a five foot draft. The tides in Georgia are eight to nine feet, and maybe you have to wait a half a day to get a good tide. But that brown grass and the weaving back and forth in Georgia is spectacular, and we've only done it thirty two times, and it doesn't <laughs> get over. So there you go. Two schools of thought on that one. So uh, always good to have the, the, the two options. Um, so thank you both for sharing that. We appreciate it. Um, next question. Can you share an instance when one of you pulled the plug on a day's planned travel? Um, and what was the reason? Most likely often because of weather. <laughs> um, any other reasons that uh, one of you chose to pull the plug on what you had planned for the day and either stay put or, or take the plan B instead of going all the way to where you had planned to stop for the night? Uh, weather would be the most significant one, Kim, for mm -hmm. sure. And, and we did obviously go to plan B and C several times. But let me say, I would encourage people, Kay and I are early risers and we love to leave early and we love to stop early in the afternoon. And we planned our day based on that. People that plan to vote later in the day sometimes will get caught in the dark before they get to their marina, especially in locking situations. So uh, if you're early risers and early stoppers, uh, that'll prevent you from having those in the dark situations. But weather is the most significant reason for pulling the plug for sure. Mm -hmm. So I know, Robert, you made a deal with your spouse there beside you that you're not gonna travel mm -hmm. at night. I didn't make that deal. <laughs> so we traveled at night a lot. 
Uh, and the flip side of that, weather is definitely why we haven't left the dock, but the same reason we left one time, New York City to go to Man. We were going to go all the way to Atlantic City because the weather was going to get bad, not because it was bad. And so we got to Atlantic City and it was only about five o'clock. It was in the fall going south. It was about five o'clock. The sun was starting to set. Looked at the weather the next day and it certainly was going to be bad for the next three or four days. And being stuck in Atlantic City is not my idea of paradise. So we chose to go all the way to Cape May, got in there about midnight. And then the next day, because you're going up the Delaware Bay, we were protected from the winds and got out of there and got back up on the northern part of the Chesapeake. So that goes both ways of making decisions to go as well as not go. Yeah. And of course, cruising at night is something, Dave, obviously you're very comfortable with. So if somebody had not prepared for that or was not ready for that or had promised their spouse that that was not going to happen, <laughs> um, stopping and then waiting the few days to wait out the yeah. bad weather is an option right. as yep. well. I just want to put in a plug for not being afraid to pull the plug. Um, and there are plenty of days, no, most of them on the Great Lakes probably, when we have been on the fence about whether or not to go, poked the bow out and turned around and said, yep, yeah, now we're not on the fence anymore. We get it. We're not going to. <laughs> um, and we know lots of people who have done that same thing and then gone and you know gotten to the other side and said, oh my God, we shouldn't have done that. That was terrible. Uh, you know, There's nothing wrong with saying, yeah, we tried it, it wasn't great, we pulled the plug. Okay. And then turn it around. I'm sorry, what was that, Dave? No shame in turning around. Gotcha, very true. No, um, there's no shame in turning around, but but to put it, put it in perspective, Kim, mm -hmm. we did the loop, we were a one-year looper. We only traveled 154 days. Right. So 205 days we didn't travel. Don't feel that you're pressed to travel days that you shouldn't be out there. Very, very good point. Um, when you do the math, most loopers average 50 miles a day. And that seems to right. stay fairly consistent regardless of how fast of a boat you're on. Um, you know, most loopers on average, there'll be some longer days and some shorter days, but 50, 50 days, uh, 50 miles a day works pretty well as an average. And if you think of the loop, you know, as 6,000 miles, you can do the math and realize that if you have a year, you're spending, you know, two thirds of your time at a dock or That's at an correct. anchorage, but not having to travel. So keep that yes, in mind when you're making these decisions. It's, it's really an important point. Um, we are just about out of time. I'm going to ask a, a final question for all three of our couples. Um, the question is, having completed the loop, is there anything you would have done differently? Hindsight being 2020, anything you would uh, you would change about the way you did the loop? No, ma'am. We did it in one year. We're perfectly satisfied with it. We both say we'd love to do it again. We know we didn't see everything, but no. Uh, meet all the friends you can, mm -hmm. both native and loopers, when you're doing the loop. You won't regret it. Good advice. Anyone else want to take that one? I would take a, a thought. I don't know that I would say that we would do anything different, but every day I think we learn something new. And then so check and adjust. So as you go around, you know, you might see somebody do something on the dock. Oh, man, that's idea. So then just incorporate it. So you start doing that. But keep your eyes open the whole way around and check and adjust all the way. Learn to 
think we're losing them again. I do. Claudia. <laughs> I would say yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Betty, if you want to take that, that one. Yeah, I don't know that there's anything that we would do differently, but, you know, we always wanted more time. We set out to, we left in at the end of August and we set out to be back in time for the girls to start school the next year. And it was in the Bahamas in February that we were said, forget that. This goes to us. <laughs> like, like, we're not racing this amazing trip back to start school. Like, they're doing just fine with homeschool and they're still homeschooled. So it's worked out fine. You know, we were gone for 14 months and we were only back in 14 months because we had to get back to Chicago. And when winter sets in on Lake Michigan, you got to be off the water. And that was the only thing. We delayed everything as long as possible and then knew we had to get down the lake. So I would say the only thing we would do differently is if we had more time, like had we set out not with that, okay, we're going to be back in the year plan. We easily could have spent, you know, two plus years and taken even more time everywhere because you know, there's always something to see or somewhere else to go and another side trip to take. And we just, we loved everything we saw so much that it was, you know, we wish we wouldn't have had to be back when we did. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, and to the Steins, the Creeches, the Fullers, thank you all for being with us tonight to answer these, these questions. Um, we and all three so of you have been with us for multiple <laughs> nights during this journey, not just at this virtual event, but all of the others that we've done. And, and we greatly appreciate you. Um, and I know that you and the 30 or so other gold loopers who have helped us with this um, have really shown our newer members that the gold loopers, the vast majority of them are here to help, to answer questions, to provide information. Everybody was new at one point. Everybody learned along the way and got help from others. So thanks to those of you who are here to pay that forward and to help our, our newer members really learn what they need to know to be ready to go. So thank you all for that. We appreciate it. Our pleasure. Thanks. Thanks Thank you. Here. And I'm so looking forward to seeing all of you at Joe Wheeler. Yes, yes. we yes. are looking forward to that as well, for sure. Um, if we could, uh, us, I think, triple the size of Joe Wheeler for this year, I think that would be a good thing. <laughs> that will be our biggest challenge, always is with Joe Wheeler. Uh, but we're very much looking forward to that. And for everyone who's joined us um, for this virtual spring rendezvous and some of the other events as well, thank you for your support through these unusual times. We are very happy to be going back to face-to-face -face events. It seems like everything is, is still lining up for us to do that. Um, again, thanks to everyone who's joined us, both the Gold Loopers and the attendees. We've enjoyed being with you. Safe cruising until we meet again. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. That was part two of the Q&A from the Virtual Spring Rendezvous. We hope the Gold Looper panelists were able to answer some questions you may have had. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Until then, safe cruising.